Well, listen, find your Bibles if you haven't already done so, and let's open to the book of Matthew, please. Chapter 14, Matthew 14 is where we'll be this morning. You'll find that on page 1520 in the book rack Bible in front of you there. Maybe you've got a laptop or a a tablet or a phone. Find Scripture and let's find our way there. Now, this is not going to uh, dramatically speed up our pace through the Gospel of Matthew, but we are going to look at two separate accounts today, one in Matthew 14 and one in Matthew 15, okay, so we're going to see two different accounts. They're very similar, but they are different also, and they're about the feeding of large masses of people, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 here in Matthew 14, the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15, and so... Uh, this is amazing. Really what this whole text is going to teach us today is how Jesus Christ is the one who can meet our needs. Everybody here has needs. Uh, this is a beautiful illustration of the way Jesus meets our needs with this hunger principle. The people who are hungry came out to see him and Jesus has compassion on them and he feeds them. I don't know how many of you are hungry this morning, uh, but chances are in a service that starts at about 11.15, some of you are hungry. Um, and some of you are tired, and so that's a dreadful combination for a pastor to be preaching <laughs> to a group of hungry and tired people, but you're going you're gonna to learn some beautiful things this morning about the way the Lord meets our needs. So let's read from Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13, please. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's go to chapter 15. Now, this is two months later, different location. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. When he went up to the mountainside and sat down, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he laid them and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and crippled made well, and lame walking and blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Okay. Well, this is an amazing couple of texts, and you just try to visualize what's going on there, and there's some beautiful things. I hope you saw the similarities, a few similarities that strike out. One, uh, Jesus shows compassion on all these people. Another similarity is it's a giant crowd, both places. Another similarity is that there's a lot of healing going on and a lot of uh, a ministry of compassion, healing and teaching uh, that goes on. I also point out the fact that in both texts, there is a satisfaction that comes from what Jesus did, that everybody left satisfied, completely satisfied. That's a beautiful picture there. Um, So there's some similarities and dissimilarities in this text. One thing I want to just point out as we launch into this this morning is that these are miraculous uh, events that take place. And here at Three Crosses, we believe that God is a God of the miraculous. He can do anything. When we read these, we're not like trying to explain them away in human terms. I've heard people say things like this about these texts. They'd say, well, really, there was really no supernatural miracle that took place there. The miracle was that everybody shared what they had with each other. That was the miracle. (laughs) Well, that's really not miraculous. I mean, maybe in your house or among your friends, that's miraculous. If somebody, you know, actually shares what they have. But that's, that's that's not a supernatural miracle. That's maybe a a humanitarian good, but that's not a supernatural miracle. Uh, what we're looking at here is the supernatural, uh, and this is uh, really, really good stuff. So what, what are we going to find What are we gonna find out in this text? And by the way, just as a little historical framework here, for some of you that are kind of harboring a suspicion that, well, these have to be the same thing. Matthew just repeated himself, or he thought it was a great story and should fit it in again. Uh, look at chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus actually tells his disciples that both of these things occurred. He reminds them, verse 9, do you still not understand, speaking about something else, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls were gathered, or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? So Jesus actually is giving us in text here today the fact that these were two separate events. And if you do a little study, you'll find that they're separated by about two months. And I don't know, it's kind of curious to me, the disciples, when Jesus asked them what they should do with all these people who are hungry and not wanting to send them away, that they wouldn't have said, hey, remember what you did with the 5,000? Let's just do that again. <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of laugh at that, but then I think of how many times God did a significant work in my life, and, and two days later, I don't remember that. You know, I, don't, I don't stop and think about that enough. So there's a lot of humanity in all of this. There's a lot of messiness to it. Um, but, but here's what I see in this text. I see that this tells us a lot about the way ministry works in the life of Jesus Christ and those who follow him. And when we talk about the disciples following Jesus, let's remember that we are his disciples too. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple just like these guys. And sometimes we equate the disciples with being pastors or leaders in the church. No, Jesus is using this experience to train his disciples in the fact that he is the one that meets the needs of people and that there's no one like him. And he supernaturally does this work to show us that. So I see four things about ministry and the way ministry needs to be done. Actually, they're things that I would call realizations that you've got to come to if you're going to follow Jesus in the kind of ministry that he wants for your life. And here they are. They're simple, and maybe you'll see them with me. In, in verse 13 of chapter 14 and verses 29 through 31 of chapter 15, I see from what we read there that we are surrounded by needy people. Do you agree with that? 
I mean, everywhere you turn, there are people with great needs. Now, we do a really good job hiding our needs, but I mean, here in the text, it talks about the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. It talks about how Jesus turned and taught these people, but where we work, where we play, where we, uh, where we commute, all of these places are locales where needy people are. They're everywhere around us, and we forget this sometimes in ministry, that literally in every direction we look, there are people with needs. Now, physical needs might be a little more obvious, but we can hurt inside. There's things that, that uh, weigh us down. For example, people are hungry, literally hungry. People are addicted. People are depressed. People are anxious, angry, resentful, and needing forgiveness from someone or maybe from God. Uh, they need care, they need acceptance, they need comfort and peace. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but basically I'm just reminding all of us of, of the obvious that there are just needy people everywhere. Walk into a hospital and see needy people, people that need hope, people that need encouragement. But throughout your neighborhood and even the people sitting to your right and left, right around you this morning, there are needs that they probably haven't talked about because they might be a little embarrassed by those things. Or, by the way, remember we come to church and we always put on our face of everything's great in our lives. And that's not always true, is it? I mean, there are things that in our lives that are sometimes really hard. And we, we've got needs and, and we shouldn't be afraid. This is a place where it should be safe to say, I've got some needs in my life and help me, pray for me. Uh, I need to express these things. And that's a, a beautiful thing. Yesterday, we had a service for a young man in our high school ministry, a, a, a memorial service for Shane, um, uh, Shane uh, Mealy, and Shane, uh, beautiful service, but hard service. Packed out, there he is, uh, one of our photographers caught this picture just a few months ago while he was sitting in Omega, and he died a, about a week and a half ago of a tragic accident. Um, and, and so here was this dear family, broken, members of his schoolmates, uh, people from Omega here at the church, a beautiful, beautiful expression of love and care for this family and for the memory of Shane. But one of the things that really struck me in this service was, well, there's a couple things. One was Shane's own testimony. They played a video, or not, not a video, an audio of Shane sharing verbally his testimony of coming to know Jesus Christ because somebody invited him to uh, 2020, which is our junior high ministry, and it was there that he heard worship music he had never heard in his life. He'd never been to church in his life. And, and Jesus Christ began to work in his heart, and he came to know Christ, gave his life to Jesus. And hearing his own words, his own testimony at his funeral service was something I'll never forget. And then Pastor Charles, his student ministries pastor that not only had the privilege of leading him to Christ, but ministered to him over the last several years as he went from junior high into high school, and Shane uh, was, was touched and students were touched. But I thought, as I looked around, I thought, wow, what a blessing to have Charles speak so sensitively and lovingly toward a, a group of people that were so needy. Uh, and just as I sat there and looked at the crowd and the overflow of the people that were there, it just, it just broke my heart to see so many people who I, I assumed, some of whom did not have the hope that others would share in a moment like that. And I got to thinking about how it says in Scripture that Jesus looked upon the crowds and had compassion on them. And we see this both here in chapter 14 and in chapter 15. Both places it says that Jesus was stirred 
with compassion. And that Greek word, not to get into the Greek of it too much, but that Greek word means literally moved in his guts about, about what he saw. There was, there was a physical reaction of Jesus. Spankidzomai is the Greek word, and it, it literally means to be, to be turned inside. Jesus saw the crowds, and there was something he felt. And I, and I just have a feeling that a lot of us uh, need that reminder today that there are people all around us, everywhere we look, with great needs in their lives. And if you're going to do ministry, you've got to realize that. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to realize that. The second thing I realize, and that we need to realize as I look at this text, is that we're not nearly as responsive as Jesus is to meeting the needs of others. Have you found that out about yourself? We're not nearly as responsive as Jesus is. And I think the text gives us some clues as to why. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple things here that you might want to jot down. One is sometimes it's because we're consumed by our own needs. Okay, um, Now, in the context, it says in verse 13 of Matthew, let's look at Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened. Now, what had he heard? Uh, some think that he heard that John the Baptist had been killed. No, uh, we looked at that last week. This was a flashback that Matthew gives to us. John the Baptist has was murdered by Herod long before this. But Jesus heard that Herod thought that John the Baptist, or that Jesus was actually John the Baptist resurrected. Remember? Beautiful, powerful message last week. And that haunted him. And so when Jesus heard this about Herod, Jesus is kind of moving away from the resistance, from the, the pressure of Jerusalem and the, the onslaught of what Herod may do. And so Jesus is taking his disciples out on a little trip, and they're, they're up in northern Galilee in a little region called Bethsaida, and there he is with his disciples. But what got them there, it tells us that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Mark's account of this very... Uh, situation says this in Mark 6.31, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Mark's account shows us why Jesus is also taking his disciples away because they have been under a heavy rhythm and, and uh, routine of support and they, they're tired. Jesus was the God-man. He got tired too. He was physically man just like you and I are. He was the God-man, but he experienced physical fatigue just like we experience physical fatigue. And he got his disciples and he moved them away for a little bit of R&R, a little rest, a little break, and that's a good thing. But did you notice it says that when they arrived, the crowds hearing about this followed him on foot. So no sooner had they got there that this large crowd was there. And look at Jesus. Oh, I love this. Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them and he, and he goes right back into ministry. Now, here's a little interpretive moment that is not in the text, but I have a feeling the disciples probably went, oh, no. Here we go again. Now I say that because I think that's the way I would have felt. I mean, I, I get tired in ministry too, and sometimes I'm just going to be really straight up honest with you sometimes. Sometimes in a season of ministry, you're just pouring out, and you're working hard, and you're doing stuff, and sometimes you just kind of look for that break, and you think you're going to get a break, and all of a sudden, boom, something else happens. And there are times, hear your pastor say, there are some times where you go, where I say, oh no, you know? I don't say, oh, praise the Lord. I don't say, oh, this is so great. 
Uh, the other, a couple of weeks ago, or last week, actually, um, had a tough situation with a family that's not really super tied into our church, but she attends, the mother and the daughter attend here, and they got news, the terrible news that um, the mother's oldest daughter who lives out of this area down in Southern California had died of an asthma attack. And so it was just terrible and just un, you know, unremitting, just grief and sorrow. I went over there, spent a little time with this family and those things just, wow, they're just hard. You just see the, the pain and the grief of a family that is lost and there's, there's no words and I tell people there's no words. I just, I'm here to love on them and pray over them and oh, it was just crazy. And, and also I just heard that morning about Shane passing and and it was, just, it was just one of those things. And I remember I got home from that, and I, I kind of like, okay, I need to kind of reset. And, and my phone rings, and it's someone uh, from this community that does not attend our church, but they know I'm a pastor. They know I serve in this capacity. And they had a, a loved one at, at a hospital where they were waiting for a priest to come and give last rites to. A strong Catholic family, but the priest wasn't showing up. They had waited all afternoon, all into the evening, and they had lost hope. And they, so who else can we call? And they thought of me, so they called me. And I remember thinking, okay, well, and I told them, I don't do last rites. I'm a little different in the Catholic faith. Um, I would love to come and pray over and, and just spend some time with you. And, oh, that would be so great. Thank you so much. Hang up the phone, and I'm thinking in my spirit, I'm thinking... I don't have strength for this, you know? I, just, I would rather just kind of push back right now and rest. And I remember driving there just kind of a little disturbed in my spirit. I get there, I get out of the car, go into the hospital, and right when I get out of the elevator comes this priest. And I'm thinking, I bet he's going to the same place I'm going. And I'm kind of tempted just to kind of, you know? So, I don't know, maybe he's going somewhere else. So, walk down. I'm following him down this aisle, you know, following the room numbers. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Boom, we're in the same room. And, you know, beautiful moment. Introduce myself. The family's so glad that both of us are there. <laughs> and he does, you know, the last rites. And it was, it was, it was a beautiful moment with this priest. I, you know, um, we have a lot of things in common, our faith traditions, a lot of things that we don't have so much in common too, but, you know, I just pray in, Lord, you know, what do you want for me in this, and what do you want for him and this family, and I don't really know this family at all. I know one person in this family. They got five siblings, and we're, and it turned, it just turned into this really beautiful thing. I mean, the priest, he finished, he left. I lingered a little bit. The family asked me to read a little more. We prayed together. We just it was just one of those, and I remember going back to my car. Now, this is about 8 o'clock, you know, and I'm, and I'm getting into my car, and I'm just thinking, the Spirit of God is saying, you know, you would have missed that. And, and it was just one of those, and I'm being honest with you guys this morning, not that I'm not on other Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest, honest with you to say, I mean, it's hard for me to say that, you know, here's your pastor saying, I would have rather not done that at first, you know? Now, let me be quick to add, for those of you that pour out, you're in seasons of ministry and stuff, there's nothing wrong with rest. It's not unspiritual to get rest. In fact, it's commanded that we get rest. God says, take a Sabbath. Every seven days, we should rest. We should unhook. 
And because of our technology, sometimes I have a hard time unhooking. So sometimes I feel less likely to do ministry because I've not obeyed the Sabbath well in my life. So there's that element too. I just need to get that out of the way too. But, you know, I, I get home from that appointment and my wife, bless her heart, you know, she goes, how did it go? What happened? And I said, well, it was, it was amazing. I, I repented all the way home. <laughs> you know, and I'm really honest with her too. I, I, share, <laughs> I, I share that, you know. And, and I remember Pastor Jake, you know, years ago, uh, I followed a guy named Jake Belig, and he was here as a senior pastor for 42 years. Some, a lot of you know him. Some of you never met him. But one thing that Jake always said is, is try not to see people as an interruption, but instead as a divine appointment. And that's just stuck with me. It doesn't, it's not always there, because sometimes, here's the Larry, honest Larry, sometimes someone says, hey, do you have a minute? And I want to say, no, is never good for you? How about, how about never? You know, like, <laughs> because I kind of maybe feel like I know where they're going to go, or I know that 10 minutes really means like an hour, or, you know, like I... I'm, I'm a carnal man. I'm a flesh man sometimes. But just being honest with you, it's a beautiful thing that when the Lord sort of straightens us up and causes us to see that, that sometimes it's because we're just, we're just consumed with our own needs a little too much. The second thing is sometimes it's because we're calloused toward others. Now, you might have said, well, that's what you said in the first moment, but actually it's not callousness in my first Sometimes it's just I feel a little bit like too preoccupied with me, my stuff. It's not really, it's I, I do love people, but it's like, hey, I need a break, you know, kind of thing. But sometimes the reality is, is we're callous toward others. It, now, in this passage, um, the disciples come to Jesus, and look at verse 15. This is a remote place, and it's already late, they say. Um, send the crowds away so they can go get something to eat. Now, that sounds, I don't know, I read into that like, I remember we used to have, before we had the Connection Center, we had just a lobby out there. Just picture yourself walking out in the lobby, and 20 feet beyond that is outside, okay? So when we did evening services, which we did years ago, we had an evening service on a Sunday, uh, not 613, but before that, and people would gather out there, and I remember because our custodial staff had worked a long day and we, we'd be out in the lobby and all of a sudden the lights would start flashing up and down. And everyone knew that that was code for go home, you know? <laughs> um, we, we have a tendency sometimes in ministry to figure out when it's time for everybody to like go home. It's like, okay, ministry's over, go home, you know, kind of thing. And I, I kind of feel like that's what the disciples were doing here. They were like, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, hey, if these people stick around, you know, they're going to look to us for some help, and they need to get something to eat, and so we need to move them on. Now, maybe, just maybe, giving the benefit of the doubt to the disciples, maybe they were truly saying, hey, it's a distance into some of the villages. If these folks are going to eat, we better let them go now, you know. But Jesus is so busy doing ministry that it appears that he's not even had time to think about that. But, uh, but the next chapter gives us an even better insight into this because remember I said these are two different settings. The first is a messianic, or excuse me, a Jewish crowd, primarily Jews. They're in Bethsaida, they're in northern Galilee, but these are Jewish folks hanging out with Jesus. They're wondering if he's the Messiah. In this text, when great crowds come to him, it's, he's in a different area. This is known as the Decapolis area, which was probably far more Gentile than Jews. 
And in fact, it says, notice it says at the end of verse 31, it says, when they saw the lame walking, the crippled well, they praised the God of Israel. That's a hint, Matthew gives us, that the crowd was not a Jewish crowd. They were praising the God of Israel. And that tells me that maybe the disciples in this text show us a little bit more about what Jesus is trying to show them. That, okay, it's one thing to care for the people like your own, your own folk, so to speak. But what about people that are not your own? What about the people that don't dress like you, don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't, you know, whatever, like you? Do you have the same kind of heart of compassion? Because Jesus would say, I do, and I want you to also. And I think that that's great. This is where grace informs and transforms our lives. Because it's only grace that can tell us that anyone else is just as deserving of God's grace as we are. That's what grace does. But if you're not careful, you may become a religious Pharisee where you start thinking that the reason why you have grace is because God saw something of merit in your life, something of worth. And so God's gonna do something special in your life. And we start becoming Pharisees, you know. And then we look at people of other color or other, you know, uh, persuasions of whatever. I mean, whether it's just natural or a selection of their choices. And we look at people with differences and we say, they're not deserving of God's grace. And that's wrong because everybody is equally deserving. I mean, if we received it, anybody should receive it. And that's also where grace not only informs but transforms because then all of a sudden we start caring for people that are different from us. And what would happen in this ministry if, if really all of us really did emulate the kind of compassion that Jesus had for people, all people, regardless of where they're coming from in life? Not so they can stay where they are, but so that the power of the gospel could transform their lives. So the first realization is, is realizing that there are needy people everywhere. The second realization is realizing that we're not as often uh, as responsive as Jesus is. Um, but the third realization is that Jesus actually expects us to get involved and meet people's needs. He kind of puts it right back to us here. And um, I love verse 16. They do not need to go away. Give, you, you give them something to eat. In the Greek text, this is command force. It's not a suggestion. It's a directive straight from Jesus himself. He wants, he wants them to own doing ministry where the need is discovered. And so he's saying, hey, you guys see something? You do something about it. And, then, and let me just, you know, I think it's so beautiful to be in a church where th this really happens. Like, I've been in churches where if somebody sees a need, you know what they do? They go get the pastor. That's a lot of churches. That's the way it works. They see a need. Pastor, you need to know. Someone over here needs this. And they're always like recruiting the pastor. The beautiful thing about our church is that many of us understand that ministry, when we see a need, is not necessarily sometimes we need to go get a leader. Sometimes there's things that we can offer as leaders. Yes, I'm not putting that down. But sometimes... It, we can just as well minister to somebody who has a need, that we notice has a need. And that's a, that's a really beautiful thing. Um, now, to do this, we need to, pro to properly assess our resources. And I, and I know our time is like squeaking away here. Um, so let me kind of be quick here. When, when you look at your resources, remember Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they say, well, we've only got, you know, five loaves and two fish. 
the backstory of this in John's gospel, you remember Jesus asked, what do they have? And, and Philip, one of the disciples, looked and saw this little boy standing there with a, basically a sack lunch and kind of pushes him forward. You know, this is all we've got. And Jesus says, bring it to me. So the reality, here's, here, when, when I say assess your resources, here's what Jesus wants you to see. He wants you to see what you have. Just write that down somewhere. He wants you to see what you have. Now, some of us have more than others. Some of us have more resources than others. Some of us have a lot of experience in places that others don't. So we've got different levels of things that we can offer. But watch this. The end of it all is not so that we can say, oh, look, I've got enough. The reason why he wants us to see what we have, watch this, is to show us that by ourselves, we don't have enough. Did you get that? He wants us to assess because he wants us to see that we don't have enough. And so then he says, well, what you have, bring to me. Here's, here's the problem in the modern church today. I think the modern church problem is that, that we, we kind of push back saying, well, we can't get involved because we don't have enough. But when we see that we have enough, we jump right in. But that's not the way ministry works, beloved. The ministry works because people realize they don't have enough, and what they have, they bring to Jesus. That's how it works. Uh, pictures, just throw a few pictures up. There's some guys right now down in Mexico from our church that just model that for me. Uh, Jim and his buddy Steve, and there's, a, there's five or six other guys, Tyler, Mark, uh, Mark Tyler's brother, um, uh, Todd, and and Sam Berkey and a bunch of guys. These guys are crazy, these construction guys. I would never do that. I would, that would be a, a, an accident waiting to happen. But these guys, here, so here's what happened. A few months ago, they go, hey, there's this need. It's a church that we have supported down there, and the ministry that oversees that ministry comes to us and says, hey, there's a need for an orphanage. Uh, it's going to cost X. You know, Is there anything you can do? We look at it in our missions budget. We stretch our missions budget so strong and so far, and we say, well, I, we don't have anything budgeted for this, but you know what? We'll do something. We'll just, so we committed to something that we didn't have. <laughs> don't you love that about your leadership? Uh, we commit to something we don't have, and we say, we'll, just, we'll let the Lord do it. So we commit to that, and then these guys... They, they don't have anything special. They've got some time on their hands, so they go down, they just start building. And so guess what? Um, the foundation's up, the, the walls are up. Uh, our part has, has brought that about. All of a sudden, another group from Canada has got involved. And so, like, God just keeps bringing stuff. So he says, look, 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 I don't care if you don't have enough. Just what do you have? Bring it to me. And that's how God, that's ministry. I was thinking, all my life, this has been my story. You know, when God called me into ministry, I, I said, Lord, I'll do it, but uh, here's, uh, this is the mantra of my whole life. Lord, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I'm not bold enough. I've got everything in the book. I, I, there are a million reasons why I feel like I shouldn't necessarily be the guy pastoring this church. But God, in his beautiful mercy, just always comes back to me and says, look, you know, it's not about what you have. It's not about what you bring. In fact, want, take a cook good look at your life and come to the place of seeing you don't have enough. You can't do it. That's the point. I want you to see that you can't so that when I get involved, you'll see that I am a God that can do anything, even through someone like you. And that's what God does all my life. I could get emotional about it if I stood any longer here talking about it because I feel like God continually reminds me and he has to, he does it with such compassion, but he says stuff like, you know, just shut up and keep doing what you're doing, you know? But he does it with such compassion. It always sounds so restful and life-giving to me. 
It's never condemnation. It's never shame. It's always beautiful. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Mr. Average, Mr. Normal, Mr. Nothing follows Jesus into a discipleship that leads into ministry and and all of what God has done, and, and the, believe me, I, I yearn that the greater days are ahead, and that there's more, there's younger generation ministers coming up, and someday I'm going to be off this platform, I will not be here, and others will be here, and praise God, the movement takes place, change happens, God is at work, and you know, you just bring what you have, and just see what God will do. So some of us this morning are a little afraid But God unmistakably wants to be seen and all the glory go to him. And that's what brings us to the last realization, and that is that with Jesus' blessing, what we bring to him will produce supernatural results. Oh, boy. Okay. These fragments that are left over, I always always thought those were fragments like people had chewed on the bread and stuck them back, you know. But in the Greek language, the fragments are actually the same thing when Jesus said he broke the bread and distributed it to his disciples and then they distributed it out. What, what we have here in this text is actually what was left over was fresh, ready-to-be-eaten bread and fish. That's beautiful. Jesus gives such a supply. Why did he do it? I don't know. Maybe just to give people more food than they planned on. Maybe to keep them out there longer. Or maybe I think of that little guy in John 6. Maybe it was to send him home with a truckload of food. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, that's what our God does. He is a God that meets our needs. And we can be sure that when he does that, it will be enough. Amen? Okay, well, I, I'm a long-winded pastor this morning, so I kind of I messed up our end here. So we're, we're going to actually just do it a little different today um, because... We revere our nursery workers, okay? And if we, uh, if we, if we stay over, then, and I'm sorry, I, I will personally apologize to our worship team that right now are going, okay, he went long, all right, okay. But this morning, we're going to just close our time, and I, I have a feeling there's someone here right now that has been kind of having this debate with God about your readiness for something or your willingness to be a part of something based on what you can bring. And I'm hoping the Spirit of God will have just sort of nudged you this morning to say, it's not about what you can bring. It's what I can do through what you bring. So let's stand together and let's go to the Lord.